I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2, in the New Testament there, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Mark chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 18 through 22, continuing our series in the book of Mark. Uh, we'll actually come back to a few verses that are right before this uh, in about uh, two weeks. But uh, to time this out with our uh, planned uh, fasting and prayer time, we're going to go ahead and look at these verses uh, today. Again, as we walk through Mark, we have one goal. Hopefully those that have been here the last few weeks can tell me what that goal is. We've said to see Jesus to see His love, to see His forgiveness, to see His authority, to see His holiness, to see and experience more of His embrace, to know His forgiveness, to see Jesus. That's what we're aiming for today and as we go through this series. And as we walk through these verses, Jesus is going to remind us of a particular way that we should and should not Pursue a key biblical way to see him more clearly. And that is this spiritual practice called fasting. It's a weapon that he gives to us in our spiritual arsenal to take up to fight for greater delight and greater seeing of him. With that in mind, I invite you to stand in recognition of the power, the truth, of what we heard earlier in the children's moment, the authority of God's Word, I will read it aloud. You read along silently. Mark chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And the people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, and the new from the old, and the worst tear is made. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed. And so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. You may be seated. And as you do, let me pray again for our specific time in the Word. Father, we ask that you would strengthen us as we look in depth at something that is probably missing, uh, beginning with me and with many others of us here from our spiritual life, Father, help us to understand the place of fasting in drawing closer to you and taking up this weapon to battle for greater delight in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the movie Black Hawk Down certainly with its R rating, not one for the kiddos, but tells this powerful story of special forces troops, U.S. forces, deployed in Somalia during their civil war back in the 1990s. The troops are sent out for what they are told and anticipate will be a routine daytime surprise extraction of a warlord. 
they are preparing for their mission and given the description, they don't take with them their night vision goggles or their heavy body armor or their extra ammo. They head out in this way and very soon things go very wrong in this operation. The troops that they, the troops go in and the enemy is actually well prepared for them and far outnumbers what they were anticipating. Then to add to all of this, their powerhouse, their Black Hawk helicopter that's supposed to watch over them while this mission is happening gets shot down. Several of their men, the pilots of this helicopter, then become trapped in an engulfing battle as the whole city seems to be rising up against these few troops. They manage to make their way back out to their base to temporarily regroup. And if you've seen the movie or are familiar with the story, as they prepare to go back in and rescue their fellow men, they don't leave anything behind. The night vision goggles, the body armor that they wear, the extra ammo, everything you can pack goes in to the pack for this battle. Well, folks, we have a lot of spiritual weapons at our disposal for this battle that we face of the Christian life, a battle that we might think of as a struggle to rescue greater delight in Christ, greater delight in the Lord from the idols in this life that threaten to shoot that delight down. And we know that prayer and scripture study and serving in the church and giving and being involved in community, all of those practices are things that are meant to help us move forward. And those are good weapons to have. But one of the things that I have been seeing and looking at God's Word recently, and I confess right off the bat as a pastor, I feel like I have failed in leading our congregation to take up one of these weapons because I have not been diligent with this weapon of fasting. We see that God gives us this, another weapon in that repertoire of weapons to use to fight for greater delight in the Lord. Again, if you're just visiting our church over the last few weeks, this is something that's brand new for us. We're just doing this for the first time. So if it seems a little odd, a little extreme for this church to be thinking about spending some days the end of this week, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday in a time of fasting and prayer, however God leads each one of us to implement that, is something new for a lot of us as well. Some of us maybe also might come from a background where we did fast. We were involved with the church, and that was part of the practice. But perhaps it was done for purely legalistic or ritualistic reasons. It didn't have much depth. It didn't bring us closer to Christ. So we've all got a lot to learn here this morning, and so without further ado, I'll jump into what I have for us to, to share. But I really want us to see, as Psalm 34, 8 says, that fasting, this discipline of fasting, is about tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. It's an opportunity to position ourselves to see and delight in Christ, 
at a greater level than we currently do. And if you're sitting here today and you're saying, you know, I, I have experienced the grace of Christ. I understand salvation. I've been growing for a little while as a believer or I've been growing for a long while, but I'm really not satisfied with where I am spiritually. I'd like to move forward in my relationship with Christ. I'd like to be closer to Him. And I hope every one of us here can say that. If that's the case for us, then I think this is really going to be a helpful thing for us individually and as a church to learn about this morning. And I hope just to begin to spark your interest to study God's Word and to learn more about this practice, this spiritual discipline called fasting. Well, what is fasting? And I really would encourage you, even if on a regular basis you don't look at the worship guide, to follow along with the notes. If you look there, there's a lot we're going to try to cover in our short time. Really would encourage you to turn there today. I owe a great debt to Donald Whitney, uh, whose chapter we pulled from to, to hand out to you all. His book on spiritual disciplines, highly recommend that each person would pick that up and read about all the spiritual disciplines. But Whitney says this as a definition. He says, fasting is a Christian's voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. It's Christian, he says, for fasting by non-Christian obtains no eternal value because in that case the discipline's motive and purposes are to be God-centered. So it's supposed to be about Christ, about drawing close to him, so it's a Christian practice. It's voluntary and that it's not coerced, he says. And then this very very important point for us. Fasting is more than just the ultimate crash diet for the body. It's abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. How many people here, and I do want a show of hands, have ever at any point in your life been on any kind of diet? Maybe you wanted to get into that wedding dress. Maybe that swimsuit, you got to get into it. Maybe the doc looked you straight in the eye and said you got to lose some pounds or you're going to be un- unhealthy. Uh, maybe you just ate too much at the holidays and you thought, I'm going to start off January and kind of cut back. How many have ever done any kind of dieting? Okay. So many of us have fasted. Isn't it a testimony Though, to the empty idols of our time, the God of perfect eternal life through physical health, and the God of body image that our culture lifts up, that that many of us could say that we have fasted for those reasons. I won't ask for a show of hands for how many of us who have fasted for spiritual purposes, for our spiritual health. Convicting. We think about it, isn't it? Whitney gives us an outline of a number of different types of fasts. So let's tackle things that way. And then I want us to consider all the benefits of this. And then just so you know, we're going to come back around and talk about those wineskins and the bridegroom at the end. We will get there. Number of different types of fasts. There's a normal fast. These are all described in the scriptures and uh, verses are in uh, Donald Whitney's book and chapter is abstaining from all food but not water. Partial fast is limiting food like Daniel did, uh, the prophet Daniel did with just vegetables that they ate. An absolute fast would be abstaining from food and water. 
Other things we might fast from, again, we're aware that there's uh, pregnant mothers here, nursing moms. There's other with, with health issues, uh, other reasons maybe for, for children perhaps that wouldn't participate in a food type of fast. There would be other things perhaps that you could give up. We had that conversation with our boys last night, and it was entertaining, believe you me. Listen to what they, uh, they thought was a good idea to give up for, for this time, the end of this week. There's other things we can fast from. Of course, we're encouraging this week for it to be a food fast for as many of us who would want to participate. You can have a private fast, a congregational fast, or a national fast. Matthew 6, we're going to look at a little bit during our time together. We already read it in our confession of sin time, confession of faith time, in that Jesus urges us to fast for the right reasons, not to be seen by other people. So it's clear that there's an idea where we'd go in and fast just before God, that it's between us and God. But we shouldn't take that to conclude that there's no place for us doing what we're going to do as a church this week. Nobody's going to be checking up on anybody. Nobody's going to inquire as to whether you did or didn't do it or how you did it. But there is a place, biblically, for congregational fast, national fast as well. Back in the time of the Civil War, both the North and the South, they'd call national fast all the time. The president would call the people of the nation to do this. So it's unfamiliar to us. It's a, it's a new thing for us, but it's not new for the church, for the people of God. And then, of course, fasting can be something regular each week a day, each month a day. could be something that's occasional as well. It's focused in on a specific spiritual uh, issue that we're trying to address in our life. Or, like we're doing this next week, for missions. To focus in in a, a specific way, humble ourselves before God, call out to Him to work in the world for the furtherance of the gospel. So it can be regular or occasional. Well, why should we fast? Again, the answer to that question can be essentially the same Answer to why we should read our Bible, why we should pray, why we should serve in the church, why we should be in community, why we should give. The answer is the same. Number one, the Bible tells us to do it. We do see in these passages that Jesus, uh, that we have from Jesus today, the question people are asking him is, hey, these elites, these green berets, John's disciples and the Pharisees, they're fasting. You're supposed to be the new big deal, Jesus. Why aren't your guys on the fasting plan? And we'll go in a little bit later to the bridegroom issue. But notice in verse 20, he does say, verse 20 of Mark chapter 2, says, when the bridegroom's taken away from them, they'll fast in that day. Matthew 6 says, when you pray, do this. When you give, do this. When you fast, do this. So it's assumed in the scriptures that this would be part of our, again, that that uh, belt of weapons that we would carry into our spiritual life to battle for greater delight in Christ. The scriptures assume that this would be part of our spiritual life. It's a means of grace, though, not just something we obey because we need to obey. And when I say it's a means of grace, picture, if you will, your spiritual life as a sailboat headed out into the ocean of life. You put up a sail on that boat to catch the breeze of God's grace. One of those sails that we can put up is fasting. Along with prayer, along with scripture study, along with serving, those are opportunities to catch the wind of God's grace and have it blow us forward in our relationship with 
Him. Ephesians 2, 8 and 10 reminds us we don't do this fasting as any way to barter with God, as any way to earn our standing with Him. Jesus is the only way we earn standing with God. Faith in Jesus is the only way. So we should approach this fasting in that way. What are some ways that this is a means of grace? Let me walk quickly through these and I'll camp out on a couple of them. It's a means of grace for special prayer. Nonetheless, then John Calvin stated, Whenever men are to pray to God concerning any great matter, it'd be expedient, it'd be good, beneficial to appoint fasting along with prayer. You can look up the Ezra, Nehemiah, and Daniel verses to see how with each situation, special needs, those men prayed and fasted and led others with them to do the same. Second thing is that we can benefit from receiving, seeking God's guidance in a special way. That would be a whole sermon in itself. I just encourage you to think about that when you're seeking God's guidance, that this is a way to humble and show Demonstrate to the Lord that we are serious about hearing from him. Expressing grief. We see David when he's praying for that child who is sick. The child that was born from his adultery. He's praying. He fasts for the life of that child. Historically, the people of God have fasted to seek deliverance. We don't face some military enemy coming in to attack us here today. But certainly as we think about missions and the church worldwide, the persecuted church facing threats on every side to their life and well-being, that would be a great part of our fasting and prayer time to pray for deliverance for those who are facing persecution around the world. Fasting allows us to express repentance. I like, again, what Whitney says. He says, God's dishonored by a frivolous view of confession that doesn't appreciate how much sin cost him. And inasmuch, he says, as fasting can be an expression of grief, it's never inappropriate for fasting to be a voluntary, heartfelt prayer of confession. Fasting allows us to have a deeper, in a deeper way, to say to God, "I, I don't just take my sin lightly. It's serious. I know it's serious before you, and I want to recognize that. And in that sense, I'm mourning over my heart turning away from you. All right, let's camp out on a few of these in a bit more detail. Number six, fasting gives us an opportunity. I say that with real intentionality, opportunity to humble ourselves before God. If we know anything about the scriptures, we know that the Lord promises that God will exalt those who bring themselves low who are humbled before God. If we want to be lifted up, experience more of God, we're called upon to bring ourselves low. How does this happen? Well, if you start in on this fast thing, let's take Thursday this week. Along about 11 o'clock, or if you're like me, probably 9.30 on Thursday morning, that stomach will be grumbling. That head's going to start to ache a bit and maybe get a little lightheaded. You'd be a little distracted, can't focus the way you would like to, feel less productive. If you don't feel it by then, by 4.30, 5 in the afternoon, you'll really be feeling it. And you know what? That's a good place to be. What we're doing in fasting is intentionally removing one of the supports, one of the things that holds us up in life. 
and recognizing that God's the only one that is self-sustaining. He's the only one that's all existing through all time. We can't even make it through a day without some food, without getting headaches, without getting a grumbling tummy, without losing focus. We are frail creatures who are dependent upon the Lord. And we desperately need that because many of us live life as those with reasonably successful jobs, reasonable amount of financial, financial security, with uh, pantries full of food, and if you're like us, two side-by-side refrigerators full of cold food, and live most of our lives with reasonable physical health. When you have all those benefits, it's really easy to put trust and confidence in our own strength, in our own ability to get through life, to live life by ourselves. Fasting is a help to us because it reminds us that we desperately need God, that we don't exist, people, for one moment without the will of God sustaining us. This time also, number seven, is an opportunity we'll have this week, particularly for lifting up specific kingdom work. That's why we're giving this thing a focus. I hope, I don't know if we've written it down anywhere else. Uh, Thursday, let's pray for local ministries. Let's focus in on that. You've got a list of them in your worship guide every week. Uh, Friday, let's pray for the RUF campus ministers, the college ministers reaching out on these campuses uh, in our city and around the country that we support. Saturday, when we have that 7 o'clock prayer meeting at the office early in the morning, we're going to pray specifically about the world missionaries, others serving around the world. So we want to focus on this specific kingdom work. But maybe for you, you want to focus your prayer time on a specific person in your life that really you've been, been asking God to do a work there of conversion maybe or of helping to get over some struggle or addiction they're facing and focus that prayer in a very specific way during this time. Or to pray for our church, for the increasing vibrancy and growth spiritually of our church, that God would bless and extend our church, that God would provide land and a building, those kind of things. Let's pray for those things. Fasting is a great opportunity to lift up kingdom work in a focused way. Number eight, fasting is an awesome way to meet the needs of others around us. In fact, the Bible says, on top of all these other benefits of fasting, that fasting ought to be directed to bless those in need. Isaiah 58 speaks about this. I know I'm saying, I know I'm running through all this on Super Bowl Sunday. We're already thinking about what we're going to enjoy this evening. But uh, there you go. There you go. Enjoy it today. Enjoy it today. Isaiah 58 is a whole chapter about fasting and its good purposes and false purposes for it. I invite you to read that this week as you're uh, walking down this path. But look at verse 6 of Isaiah 58. Isaiah says, Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness? He's talking to these people that are fasting. They've got a practice of it. They're doing it. But while they're doing it, they're not focused on God's kingdom work. They're focused on everything else. He says, is this not the fast I choose, to loose the bonds of the wicked, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke? 
Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. A lot in that chapter as well that we could look at. But one thing I want us to think about, very specifically coming out of this passage, we got an opportunity as a church to serve people, to help missionaries get to the mission field where they can serve many broken and downtrodden people around the world, to, to support, to be involved as a church in our deacons fund and mercy ministries to help those who are struggling. And I know many have come to me or some have come to me and said, I just, with my job and with these debts and with these issues, we just... Chris, we want to, but we can't quite get to that place where we're able to do more in some of those areas to help those who are needy. You know what's interesting? It might seem like a drop in the bucket because food's not a huge part of our you know, gross household income for most of us. But think about it just for a minute. Just take Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. A lot of us probably go grab lunch out or would have grabbed a dinner out on the weekend. You tally that up, let's say 15 bucks a day for each adult. Let's multiply that by two for each couple. So you've got 90, let's round it up, say $100 that's freed up during this fasting time. You say, Pastor, are you seriously telling us not to eat so we can give? Exactly. Exactly. That's the message here, is that while we're fasting for all these other reasons, you tally that up, $100 times 50 families in the church, that's $5,000 more to go to mercy ministry, to go to the mission field. That's what Isaiah is telling us. We ought to look at this as a way to serve, to bless others as well. Number nine, a big one, and then we're going to wind down here. Number nine Fasting, I said, is a way to move us towards greater delight in Christ. And as a result, tied with that, is to overcome areas of temptation that we're facing. Matthew 4 is a passage we may be familiar with where Jesus goes out and he is tempted. He's fasting during that time and he's tempted by the evil one. Said before in numerous occasions, the main purpose of that passage, hear me clearly, is that Jesus fulfills faithfulness to God where we would fail. It's about him being our redeemer and our rescuer. That's the main purpose of that passage. But it also is a passage to remind us that there's something that God does for us to strengthen us against our temptations through fasting. That's part of the blessing of it. How does this work? Let me see if I can explain it. What fasting does for us is we intentionally put ourselves in a situation to increase our desire for something that's perfectly legitimate, food. And then we get to see in that time how God meets us and God is our delight, our satisfaction. Guess what that does? That teaches us that in every other area of life, 
where our desires, our passions, our needs, our emotions would be the thing that drive the train instead of our relationship with the Lord, that God can give us strength and power there as well, that he can be our sufficiency. Let me see if we can bring it home a little bit better this way if it's unclear. My boys are, uh, you know, i got four boys. Oldest one can pretty much, you know, pick up this Bible and could read through all the words. He wouldn't maybe understand what they all mean, but he can read. Youngest one, three-year-old, learning the alphabet song. That's where he is on the reading program. Twins, six years old. They're working on learning specific words. One of them, I was reading this book the other night. They bring home these books from school, and then we read them. This book was called Major Jump. No great classic of English literature here, folks, but, uh, but we were reading through this book, and the sentences go like this. The dog jumps. The cat jumps. The bunny jumps. And then it's kind of a funny book, so the next page says, boo, and then it says, major jump. That's major jump. The dog jumps. The cat jumps. The bunny jumps. I'm no uh, teacher, school teacher, but I understand where they're going. You repeat the same thing over and over again, and you switch the word each time. So you learn how to do the same thing with each sentence, and you're applying it to a different word each time. So too, for us folks, as we face our desires for stuff in this life, that we're going to desire security by getting more stuff that's going to make us feel secure, our desire to find our identity and our appearance that drives us to more lipo and bulimia and anorexia or to feeling like we're insufficient because we don't look like the airbrushed models in every magazine that we see. Our desire for comfort makes us avoid anything that would ever dislodge us from a perfectly comfortable situation. Our desire for amusement keeps us from spending time in prayer and with the Lord and with our families and instead before ever, ever bigger TVs and TVs and TVs. Our desire for sexual pleasure certainly drives those of us who are married through adulterous thought lives or actions, those of us who are unmarried, to personal self-gratification in this area. Fasting teaches us to read through those sentences and put in a new word in each one. To take this principle that we learn with food and our desires there and apply it so that we can say, listen, That we can say God can be more satisfying than food. God can be more satisfying than all the stuff we could pile up. God can be more satisfying than whatever image we want to have of ourselves. God can be more satisfying than all the creature comforts we can enjoy. God can be more satisfying even than sexual fulfillment. God is the ultimate satisfaction for us. Fasting puts us in a place to learn that with a simple sentence and repeat it over and over again across the different areas of our life. Number 10, in all of this, fasting leads us to worship 
God. I'll take two minutes to close us up here on these last two points. What's all this stuff in Mark chapter 2? Turn back there with me for a minute. Mark chapter 2 about uh, wineskins and bridegrooms and so forth. It's actually pretty succinct and, and, and simple, but it's just complicated for us because it's strange words and different culture. Jesus is just saying this. He says, my guys aren't fasting right now because we're having a wedding party. I am the groom, the church is the bride, and we're here celebrating. I'm leaving in a little while when I die and raised up, and then in that time, my people will go back to fasting. That's all he's saying there. And then when he talks about the wineskins and the cloth and so forth, he's just saying this, folks. You get that pitcher of sweet tea. Get down to the bottom of it in the refrigerator and empty that thing out. You've got another pot that you've just made on the stove. Most of us wash that pitcher out, clean that pitcher out before we put in the new sweet tea and put it back in the fridge. Jesus is just saying this. There is something new in my arrival in the world. And because Jesus is saying, I have come into the world, everything that we do, including fasting, has to be aligned, configured, directed to me, to my life, to my death, to my resurrection. There's something new taking place. And he's telling these folks not to look at fasting the same way. A couple practical instructions for those venturing out to fast this week. Who would be so bold to pursue it? And feel free to email or call Harrison, myself, if you've got questions about this and we can help you. We do want folks to do this if you would be willing. A couple ideas. Buddy system. We used to do it in Boy Scouts. You go swim across the lake, go hike a new trail, you got a buddy with you. Get somebody. Say, hey, I'm going to try this thing. I've never done this before in my life. I don't know what this would look like. Here's my plan. Would you pray for me? And would you just check in with me and see how I'm doing with this whole fasting thing? Number two, don't get discouraged. This is about grace and delighting more in God and seeing and experiencing Him. So if you get to the end of the day and that Snickers bar overtakes you by a, a, a handhold and throws itself into your mouth... Don't get discouraged. Regroup the next day or try it again another time. It's about seeking the Lord, not piling guilt on ourselves. Have a focused devotional time with it. If you, have, if you don't already do some kind of daily prayer or Bible study reading, get, get the daily devotional, the daily bread book, appropriately named, daily bread, and, and read it those, those days. And, and come to these prayer hub times. Come, take time out and... At lunchtime, you're going to want something to do anyway. <laughs> During lunchtime, you're going to want something to do at breakfast time on Saturday, I guarantee you, when we're praying at the office. And come, and let's pray in a real focused way. No, we're not going to sit around there and ask who's doing this or who's not. Come to the prayer times, even if you say, I, I don't buy all this stuff about fasting. Come and pray. Come and pray. Let's see what God would do as we seek him in this way. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we, uh, we have backed the truck up of your word on this topic of fasting today. And we thank you, Lord, that you give us a multitude of weapons to help us to, to literally shoot down the idols of this life and uh, rescue the delight in Christ that we really seriously want to have. 
Help us to do that through fasting this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.